Hi, welcome to Ask a Pastor, a podcast that we deliver from Orchard Hill here on a weekly basis. And maybe you're hearing this on the radio or online in another uh, way that the content is delivered, but we're glad that you have found your way to this content. And if you want to ask a question, send it to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. We'll be happy to interact with it in coming episodes uh, that we make available. I'm joined today by George Palumbo. George is part of our ministry team here at our Wexford campus in Orchard Hill currently. He is serving as one of our life stage pastors, so working with those kind of in their later 40s, 50s, uh, kind of people with kids in middle school, high school, maybe early college uh, age range, and has uh, been just a great addition to the team here. So George, uh, the first question we have uh, comes from somebody who writes in and says, I love practicing yoga and meditation. It brings me so much joy and makes me feel closer to God. I've read mixed things online about what the Christian faith has to say about this. And so the implied question is, uh, help me understand if practicing yoga is in any way in conflict with my Christian faith. And I think when this person says, you know, I've read mixed things online, probably what they're referring to is that there are some who would say yoga is an Eastern religion. It's a form of trying to meld yourself with the universe. Therefore, as a person of faith, you should have nothing to do with any kind of uh, meditative state that takes you away from, from consciousness or away from uh, whatever kind of is your normal way of thinking into this merging with the universe. So, uh, so, so let's hear your pastoral wisdom and take on that. Well, that's good stuff, what you just said. Some <laughs> of that stuff is really good. And uh, I think like anything that is not explicitly explained to us in, in Scripture, you know, that we don't have a clear uh, dictate on one way or the other, uh, and, and people get involved in for, you know, whatever reason, I, I think there should be a measure of caution for us as Christians. Uh, that notwithstanding, you know, we know people who are involved in yoga. I'm sure there are people in our church community, the greater Wexford community, uh, who find yoga to be, you know, something that's a, a really acceptable uh, thing in their life. You know, they, they feel good when they do it. Uh, it helps their body to, uh, I know I've got aches and pains that I would like to stretch out sometimes and, you know, have thought to myself, you know, is yoga the place to go to do that? I've had people recommend that to me. And I, I think as Christians, because of the Eastern influence, you know, the mystic influence, uh, it ought to at least cause us to slow down and, and exercise some caution and some discernment. Okay, so your answer is it's good as long as you have some caution. Well, so, so, so where should the caution be? I yeah. guess maybe let me ask that question. Yeah, I think sometimes we, we need to step back and, and define some of the terms, you know, that are okay. associated with, uh, with any, any activity that we decide to participate in uh, as believers. Uh, the word yoga, you know, means union. Uh, mm -hmm. And in Eastern, you know, in Hinduism, that idea of union is that you become one. The goal is to become one, mm -hmm. you know, with the Brahman. Mm -hmm. And the Brahman being that there's really no distinction between God and man. Right. You know, that we, are, we can enter into that and we can do so without any um, issues whatsoever uh, because it feels good to us. So I think when we look at some of the terms, we, we need to sort of step back and ask, at least ask those questions. What is, where does yoga originate from? Uh, you know, one of the Chinese 
techniques of, of the understanding between yin and yang. And you know, I've had people ask the same question about that. You know, what well, the yin and the yang? There's a little bit of good in everything bad and a little bit of bad in everything good. So our motives and our, uh, the things that we do are always somehow a little bit corrupt. But I think as Christians, we need to be careful that there isn't just simply this continuous tension between good and evil, that there's somehow uh, you know, equal tension between the two, but there is a God who is outside of that, who is purely holy, he's purely just, he is not corrupt by any evil, and that's who we submit ourselves to. So when we begin to open our, our minds up and open our souls up, uh, to anything that is even objectionable in a little bit. I think we just need to exercise some, some serious caution. Okay. Yeah, it, it would seem to me that, that one of the, the core issues that, that I think any person of faith needs to wrestle with, and that is if something has an origin that is suspect or, or outright evil or something outside of faith, um, can that thing... Um, be utilized in a healthy and good way. And, and, the, and the question, the reason that's important is yoga, as you said, has some origins with something like saying, can I be one with the universe? Well, that's certainly not a biblical worldview idea sure. uh, to say I'm merging with the universe. So if you're using yoga to merge with the universe, then you're clearly doing something that is ultimately unbiblical. Yes. Most people that I know use yoga to exercise um, not for merging with the universe. Right. And so the question is, is it okay to use downward dog and warrior one, warrior two as poses to exercise to some music and to even let your mind just kind of get off of everything else without the conscious thought of saying, I'm merging with the universe um, because it or or originated somewhere that's, that, that's wrong. And probably a good similar analogy would be Halloween. Sure. Uh, people, uh, you know, take their kids out to trick or treat who don't necessarily practice Satanism uh, because they say in our country, um, going out to get candy from your friends on Halloween is a socially uh, conditioned thing that doesn't mean you're worshiping Satan. Right. Uh, now, there are some Christians who would say you absolutely should not. You should have a Noah's Ark party. You should do, do anything other than Halloween because Halloween has evil origins. Um, I think at Orchard Hill, at least, our approach has been to say it's not necessarily in the origin. It's in how we use something currently. But, but your word of saying, but still understanding if something has origins, such as Halloween, if your kids go out and dress up, maybe there's some costumes, some ways to dress up that become more problematic than, than some others. And if you find a draw that's beyond, I'm going to get candy from my friends, maybe you need to step back and say, maybe practicing this with our kids could lead to something that's unhealthy. And I think the same kind of idea is probably warranted when it comes to yoga. Yeah, and again, I, I would just, again, say, always lead with caution. Mm -hmm. I, I think as Christians, because we are to be renewing our minds every day, we ought to be pursuing anything that even hints of, of something that may bring uh, a pattern or something uh, that is not of God into our thinking uh, and into our own worldview. Uh, we just really need you know, to be doing our homework. And, and that's not to say that if, if uh, you've done downward dog and you've never had it, but knowledge can be dangerous too. You know, our, 
the, the very knowing of certain things leads to us believing and practicing certain things. And we need to be careful uh, when we take knowledge in, if, if we know something is true in God's word, we become more accountable for it. Mm-hmm. So we need to just be careful, uh, I would say. This is why it's such a, I think it's such a difficult you know, topic to, to when something is not clearly outlined for us in scripture about whether or not we may or may not practice it. It then requires us to well, most do things some aren't homework. Clearly right. outlined. I mean, right. most yes. things are something where where you take a principle and then you have to decide based on a principle. Yes. What is the appropriate action? And I think actually, a lot of Christians get in trouble because they they answer a question with a principle from a principle. That's a fair way to answer it for themselves, but then they try to universalize yes. that idea for everybody else. Take something like alcohol. Um, alcohol, clearly in the Bible, we're told that drunkenness is a sin. So being inebriated is outlawed yes. in the Bible. It's against Clear. God's law. Clear. Having a drink, having a couple drinks is not. But some people would say in order to avoid drunkenness, in order to keep my weaker brother from stumbling, in order to never be in a position where I've inferred that I will not drink at all, but the problem isn't that they make that judgment. It's when they say, and now everyone else should make the same judgment because I've made that judgment and it seems best for my spiritual life. And now I want everyone else to have the same exact outcome or belief that I have. Uh, people do that with, with things that they feel okay in watching. Sure. And, and so I think that that's the, the flip side danger where somebody says, I've come to a conviction on an inference or a principle, and now I'm going to universalize that for everybody else rather than saying this is something I've deemed uh, appropriate for me um, based on the principle. But, but it is a little harder to, to always discern. Yeah, any of those gray areas, uh, the Greeks had the word, what was it, adiaphora? Mm-hmm. The Stoic did of, you know, not, there are certain things that are able to be clearly understood and certain things that are not clearly understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it requires, you know, logic and the logos in our, mm-hmm. uh, from our perspective, you know, to, to dig deep into those things to make sure that we are lining ourselves up with God's word. So my uh, answer would be, yeah, just exercise extreme caution, uh, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just pay particular attention. And, you know, uh, the conscience is a, is a great way for the Lord to, to move inside right. of us to, well, to hear and understand. And obviously by asking the question, the person saying, I am trying to understand if anything in this has become a hindrance to my faith. And, yes. so, and so that's already happening and, and is good. But I would also just real quickly add that while God does move in our conscience, we must feed our conscience the word of God in order to develop a right conscience mm-hmm. before God. Absolutely. And, and it's easy to be deceived by our conscience. I mean, yes. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful and wicked. And above wicked. All things. That's right. right. And so uh, if I listen to my heart, which is the big phrase in our culture, listen to your heart, right. I'm going to be wrong at least as much as I'm right. Absolutely. Even if I'm taking the word of God in. Y- y- yes. And, uh, and, and so, and certainly you get the Holy Spirit inside of you, but even that can be something that people say this feels like the spirit of God prompting, but it can be their pride. I mean, I've heard, you know, the old joke is, you know, when somebody says, you know, I feel God leading me to sing a solo in church. And it's like, wow, nobody else feels that because that solo is bad. 
and, and, and it's not the spirit of God, it's pride that says, I have to be up front, I have to be out front, I have to be the person who sings the solo. Um, now, sometimes maybe it is God, but, sure. but a lot of times it's pride masked as God that says, I have to do that. And, and so we have to be very, I think, aware of our own propensity to, to miss even in those areas. But I think that the key thing is asking the question and then trying to say, what is the discernment? And I think by asking it and, and even having us address that, that's part I of it. I would say it could even go deeper because there are times when we want something to be true so badly mm -hmm. that you know, if I want, for instance, yoga to mm -hmm. be okay, you know, mm -hmm. I will I will move the bar, mm -hmm. you know, in order for it to be okay for me so that I can continue. That's why I think we just need to really make sure that we are submitting ourselves wholly right. and fully uh, to the spirit of God. Yeah, no, absolutely. But but again, that's what I'm saying. I think a lot of times you can even in your submission be deceived. Yes. And I also think think the whole notion of of everything has to have a right and a wrong. Um, not saying that there isn't a law, but, but I don't think God's sitting in heaven um, going, oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> <Yo> God, <laughs> he, he did this or she did that as much as he's saying, I sent my son to die so that you can be free from, from obsessing about yes. every little law. Um, what we have to understand is that, that that doesn't negate God's law. It actually makes it makes it more precious to us because yes. we start to say, I have violated the law, but that's exactly why Jesus died. Now, that isn't a reason to say, well, I can do whatever I want, but it's a reason to say, I don't live under the pressure of having to say every single um, you know, instance I have to figure out down to the deal. I mean, that's what the Pharisees did. Right. They took the inferences of the Old Testament and made 613 laws into thousands of laws where there was laws about laws about laws and Jesus' whole thing was, I don't want you to have to be a Pharisee. I came to, to, to free you from that kind of life. And, and so to me, at least, you know, when we start to ask questions like, like, you know, can I do yoga? Can I not do yoga? Well, at some point, what we're doing is we're trying to make laws about laws yes. in order to, to say we're living in a, in a place. Now, I'm not saying there's never a place to, to question or anything, but, but the whole point of the law is not to say conform. It's to say you need a savior. And, and when we understand that, it, again, it doesn't negate the law because the law is still there for our good. Yes. It's still there to, to, to lead us, but, but it, it frees us from the obsessive nature of trying to say, is this, am I in submission to God? Am I not? What, what, which way am I living here in this current well, way? I think it also goes to, is it profitable for me? Um, mm -hmm. I think it, it may be good for me, but it may not be profitable for me. You know, the mm -hmm. scripture tells us that our bodies are wasting away. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, but our minds ought to be renewed day by day. Uh, so I, I, again, is it okay to practice yoga? Maybe, maybe not. I, I think we just need to exercise extreme caution. I wouldn't say yes definitively or no definitively. So you have no answer. Way. We're back to the same place we started. Yes. No answer from George. <laughs> so George is no help to the yoga question. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see if we can, uh, can, can be help on this one. Maybe we could be even worse on this one. <laughs> um, my answer, by the way, would be practice yoga as long as you are not violating something that is clearly not biblical. So if you want to do a downward dog and listen to music, great as long as you're not trying to merge with the universe in doing that. And so I, my answer then would be, it's okay to do a downward dog as long as you know 
you don't know that it is an obeisance before Buddha or yeah. some Brahmin. Uh, so I would, again, yeah. caution, yeah. caution. Yeah. All right, Daniel 9. Um, this person asks, the Daniel 9 prophecy, does it predict the coming of Jesus to the exact year? And, and here's the background to this question. And we've got probably less time than we would like <laughs> for this question because we talked as long about yoga as we did. Um, but he, we'll just get into this just very quickly. So Daniel chapter 9 is a prophecy that has been used by many this 70 weeks. And this is uh, verses 24 and following. It says 77, some say 70 weeks, 70 sets of sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be 70 sevens, 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with the streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed and is poured out on him. So George, interpret it's it for us. It's perfectly clear. I interpret mean, how can it. anybody get any of this wrong? Interpret it. I mean, it. it is absolutely crystallized here for yeah. us. Uh, I, I think what, what happens is, again, uh, coming off of the back end of the last question mm -hmm. that we had, caution. Uh, because when we, we bump up against passages of Scripture like this, you know, we run into issues of interpretation. You know, these, the, the book of Daniel is one that is loaded with imagery and things that are sometimes hard to understand. Uh, you know, that at a first reading, we don't just read it and go, man, I got that. You know, <laughs> we got this one. I know exactly when Jesus is going to return now because we just read that passage of Scripture. Um, I think it also leads to isolationism of a biblical passage where we I mean, doesn't, I, I, you would like to know when the last day is, or maybe you wouldn't. Uh, you know, actually, I, since Jesus was so clear about saying no one yes, knows the time, yes. I actually don't want to try to discern something that Jesus has told me I won't discern because and you would, I'll be wrong. And you would think that would settle it right. for a believer, mm -hmm. that when we read, when Jesus himself says, I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. as a man, I have chosen to let go of that, mm -hmm. and only the Father knows the hour at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, so to, to and uh, you've been in ministry long enough to know that there are folks who take a passage of scripture like this and build an entire theology mm -hmm. around that very passage of scripture. Uh, on a very basic level, I mean, these, this passage of scripture cannot be divorced from the fact that, you know, Israel's in, in exile right now. Mm -hmm. And we have to look at it in the greater context of the book from which it came from. Well, there's some, there's some things that are clear. You know, the, the flip danger that, you know, you say there's a danger of building everything from it. The other danger is to be like, hey, we, this means right. nothing and we can make no heads or tails of this. Therefore, you know, it means nothing to right. us. 
clearly what it is talking about is the anointed one, Jesus, coming about his end of atonement and, and the 62 weeks for some, and this is, I think, the guts of the question, is saying, does that predict uh, with precision from the time of the exile of the Jews and, and all of that, the coming of Jesus? Like, is that what indeed has happened? The, the real problem with, with the passage actually isn't that. Most scholars actually look at this and say, that seems to indicate um, Jesus coming um, the first time. Right. Most of them then say, well, the 62 weeks, now there's another eight weeks, but seven weeks have already happened, and now we're living in this undefined, um, not textually warranted gap between week 69 and week 70 right. that will one day be the great tribulation. When you hear people talking about the seven-year tribulation, this is the passage that it largely comes from. A little bit in Revelation. Right. There's some other places that allude to it, but this is where people get the timing. But it's the, the, the gap at the 69 weeks that, that's actually harder to explain. But to your point, that's how people have built a whole, right. a whole thing. But here's what, what we do know based on this passage, and that is that, that indeed Jesus did come. He did make an end to sin, and he's coming back. Right. And those things are, are clearly articulated in this passage and throughout the whole Bible. And that he came the first time to offer salvation, to offer grace. He's coming the second time to judge. And if we do not um, deal with his first coming, then the second coming will be very um, difficult for us because we'll only know him as a judge, not as, not as a merciful God. And this passage gives rise to that along yes. with the teaching of the whole Bible. Well, and again, the, the, the context of the scripture is that, you know, Daniel is dealing with an impenitent Israel. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the crux of, of this passage is about repentance mm -hmm. uh, and our place in that. And Jesus, like you said, you know, there's this, he's been here, he's coming back. Um, you know, there, there are intellectuals without end who have argued over these things and churches have split and, you know, there's just been all kinds of uh, different, you know, we get millennials, amillennials, preterists, partial preterists, mm -hmm. you know, without end you know, mm -hmm. who have an opinion on exactly what this says. You must have exactly just gone to seminary because you out. like those words. Well, they're great words, aren't they? They're just <laughs> exciting words. And they make you sound like you know something. Yeah. But I actually know what all of those are. The, Josiah, one yeah. of our other pastors asked me yesterday, he said, so what's your final answer? I said, Jesus is coming back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the answer. He has promised that he will return. Mm -hmm. And when he returns, he will, he will come mm -hmm. in his righteousness as a judge, and mm -hmm. he will judge, uh, and he will do so righteously and justly. And that'll be a good thing. Yes, it will if be. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that will be a good thing. Yes. It's not something to be feared. What, 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 what I think concerns me about those who take this as the 69 weeks gap, coming tribulation, is it's, it's this big fear. But Jesus coming back, yes, there will be judgment, but mm -hmm. if you are a child of God, if you've come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, that will be a good and beautiful uh, event in your life. And, and we will be protected. Yeah, yeah, wh his. whatever that, yes. that scenario is. Yes. Well, George, thank you. And um, thank you uh, for taking part of your day to participate in this podcast. Uh, if you have questions, send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com and we'll be happy to address them in coming weeks. <music>